good morning and uh, welcome to Bachelor Creek. We're so glad to have you with us today. Uh, we're excited to uh, dedicate our babies in a little bit. And uh, thinking back to last week, we had an awesome family worship Sunday. By a show of hands, how many of you tried the Bean Boozle Challenge? How many of you were brave enough? Okay, a lot of you. Uh, you know, we're talking about wisdom, and I'm not sure that was the wise choice uh, to make, but um, man, what, what, a great, what a great Sunday. I was thinking about those, those jelly beans, and I'm wondering, for some of those nasty flavors, like how did they know when they got it right? Like what was the taste testing that went involved to know, like vomit? Yeah, I think we're a little bit off. We need to get it closer. Uh, I don't know whose job that was, maybe an intern or something. Uh, but we love Family Worship Sundays uh, because we value the next generation. Through the 178-year history of this church, uh, Bachelor Creek has always valued raising up the next generation. We think there's something very formative that happens when we all come together and worship. And so every fifth Sunday, uh, you'll see us worshiping together. If you have your Bibles today, open them up to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, as you're turning there, uh, I'll tell you that uh, Howard Stern is a famous radio talk show host. You've probably heard of him. His popularity is credited largely due to his vulgar and controversial style. In fact, over the years, Howard Stern has been fined $2.5 million by the FCC for violations on his radio show. Years ago, Stern decided to run for governor of New York. But when he found out that running for governor would require that he issue a public financial disclosure statement, he withdrew his candidacy. He reasoned that a public financial disclosure statement was far too much of a personal issue to be made public. I want the irony of this to sink in. Here is a guy who regularly describes in vulgar detail his sexual behavior to hundreds of thousands of listeners across the country, and yet he feels that his personal finances are too personal of an issue to discuss in public. What's wrong with this picture? The reality is a lot of people aren't that different from Howard Stern and their hesitation to talk about finances. People get uncomfortable talking about money, especially in the church. You'll hear people say, that, that, that's a private matter. Just stick to the Bible. Let's just preach Jesus. And if you're saying stick to the Bible, I'll give you a hearty amen. As a church that stands on the authority of Scripture, if we're going to preach the Bible, then we have no choice but to talk about money. Nearly 15% of everything Jesus spoke about related to money and possessions. This week, I read 101 verses about money and possessions in the book of Proverbs. It is clear that money, how to use it, how to make it, how to give it, how to invest it, all of it is a major part of our lives. And since that's true, the question becomes, how do I gain wisdom with money? As we've seen over the past few weeks, a key feature of Proverbs is the author's use of contrast. Foolish versus wise, righteous versus the wicked, hatred is contrasted with love. And when it comes to money, there's a very clear contrast between a worldly view of money and a godly or biblical view of money. For example, the world says, make money your idol. Worship money. Serve money. Make money your God. Tim Keller says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. 
Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. He goes on to say, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. And I think that describes the way a lot of people feel about money. Now, in contrast, the Bible says use money as a tool. Use money as a resource. So the world asks, what does a man own? But Christ asks, how does he use it? You see, church, money is a great tool and a terrible master. Money is not inherently evil. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See, money itself is amoral. Not immoral, it's amoral. It is simply a resource that can be used for good or bad purposes. The world says obtain money at all costs. Whatever it takes, whether it's ethical or or unethical, you just, however you can, obtain money. But in contrast, the Bible says that integrity matters most. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27, it says, Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. A couple months ago, Tara and I watched a miniseries on Netflix called Madoff, The Monster of Wall Street. It tells the story of Bernie Madoff, who was the mastermind behind the largest Ponzi scheme in history. Madoff defrauded thousands of investors. The amount missing from his clients' accounts was almost $65 billion. Now, Madoff's firm had two units, a legitimate stock brokerage and an illegitimate asset management business. On December 10th, 2008, Madoff's sons told authorities that their father had confessed to them that the asset management unit of his firm was one big lie. For years, his sons had no idea what was going on just two floors below them. The next day on December 11th, Madoff was arrested and instantly his financial empire crumbled. Not only did thousands of his investors suffer, but so did his family. His son, Mark, was crushed by the constant media attention. From the day that his father was arrested, Mark never spoke to his dad again. He became distraught and and, and torn up with how his, his name was being carried through the mud. And on the second anniversary of his father's arrest, Mark took his own life. It all comes back to Madoff's relentless pursuit of money at all costs. And it cost him his freedom, and it cost him the life of his son. The Council of Scripture says it's not worth it. Pursue integrity, not money. The world encourages debt. What is debt? Plain and simple, debt is owing any money to anybody for any reason. I read this week that the average American debt per U.S. adult is $58,604. That 77% of American households have at least some type of debt. That can include credit to card debt, student loans, auto loans, home equity lines of credit, and mortgages. Now let's just take a look at credit card debt. 45% of American households carry a balance on their credit card. 
which means that they don't pay their credit cards down to zero every month. That's just over 55 million households who have this kind of debt. The average credit card debt per household with this kind of debt is $14,241, with the total in America reaching $787 billion in credit card debt. Now, track with me here. Listen to this. The average interest rate on credit cards is 17.13%. So think of it like this. If you multiply 17.13% by the $787 billion that Americans owe, that's about $134.81 billion that credit card companies will make on interest alone. Do you think they like it, that you have credit card debt? Absolutely they do. They encourage it. On the contrary, the Bible cautions against debt. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave to the lender. Now, let me be clear. The Bible does not forbid debt, but it does caution against it. And if we do have debt, we ought to have a plan in place to get out of it. Why? Because according to Proverbs 22, verse 7, debt enslaves. Debt is like wearing shackles. It holds us down. It keeps us back from doing the things that we want to do. Debt causes stress in your family. It can cause tension in your marriage. There are times you want to help somebody else in need, but you can't because you're up to your eyeballs in debt. Now, the world says, gather as much as you can. The world says this, he who dies with the most toys wins. But the reality is, he who who dies with the most toys still dies. On the contrary, the Bible says give as much as you can. Over and over, the book of Proverbs emphasizes the importance of generosity in giving to those in need. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25 says, "One One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. And another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. This passage reminds us that giving to others not only benefits them, but it also benefits us. When we are generous, we find that we are blessed in return. The world says live in the moment. The world's motto is YOLO. You only live once. Eat, drink. Mary, for tomorrow we die. So live in the moment. Whatever you want, right here, right now, do it. But the Bible says plan for the future. Wisdom with money means that we will steward our resources well and we will plan financially for the future. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. It's important to take a long-term view of our finances and make wise decisions that will benefit us in the future. Practically speaking, this means that you ought to save. And I know some people are like, I can't afford to save. I'm stretched so thin right now. I would guess if if we look through how you spend your money, there's some excess there. There is some place where you can cut back. There's some frivolous spending where you can save something anything, something is better than nothing. Because Proverbs chapter 13 verse 11 says, whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. 
We're going to spend the next few minutes in Proverbs chapter 3. We've already seen in a short period of time that Proverbs talks a lot about money. And Proverbs chapter 3 zeroes in on a central truth behind how we steward our money. I'm going to say it this way this morning. Your money flows to where your trust goes. Your money flows to where your trust goes. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 1, and would you please stand for the reading of God's Word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life for many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Here, Solomon advises his son to trust in the Lord. You know, every single one of us, we trust in someone or something. Maybe you trust in your skills and your abilities. Maybe you trust in your strength and your power. Maybe you trust in your charm and and your charisma. Maybe you trust in in your good looks or your appearance. Some people trust in their job. Some people trust in their family. Some people trust in themselves. Some people trust in money. And that's what the world says. The world says trust in money. But the Bible says trust in God. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord means that you acknowledge that he is the source of all money, that he is the creator, he is the provider. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28 says that those who trust in riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so I want to ask, where does your trust lie? Do you trust in chariots and horses? Do you trust in your strength and your power? Do you trust in what your money can do for you? Or do you trust in the name of the Lord your God? Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. To truly trust God, it must be full and complete. To put half our trust in God and half our trust in something else is a clear sign that we don't really trust the Lord at all. How would it sound if the worship songs that we sang reflected how we really live our lives? You ever thought about that? Like take a song like I Surrender All. If we sang that how we truly live, maybe it would sound something like this. Half to Jesus I surrender. Half to him I freely give. I will sometimes love and trust him in his presence occasionally live. I surrender part. I surrender part. Some to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender 
part. I don't know. It just doesn't have the same ring to it. There's no conviction behind it. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 that, that you cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It doesn't work that way. You see, half trust is distrust. God desires and he deserves our full trust. He goes on to say, lean not on your own understanding. Trusting God with all of our heart means that we decide to put away our own understanding and instead we choose to trust in God and his understanding, which is revealed to us in Scripture. Lean not on your own understanding. We get this visual image of a cane or have the balance. You don't trust your legs. You don't trust your hip. And so what do you do? You put your weight, you put your trust on the cane. And I think that is a beautiful picture of what it means to trust God. I've said it before. I will happily admit that God is a crutch in my life. Because I know how messed up my life would be if I lean on my own understanding. So I'm leaning on his everlasting arms. Self-sufficiency and self-dependence have ruined mankind ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. And as Americans, we often talk about self-reliance. We revere the self-made man, the guy who pulled himself up from his bootstraps. One of our famous documents is the Declaration of Independence. And if I'm honest, part of me really resonates with that. But here's the problem. As Americans, we have so prided ourselves on our independence that we've lost our dependence on God. We live in a culture that says, look at my life. I don't need God. I got a good job. I got a good family. 13 verses 1 and 2 describes how the Jews brought to God the first of their flocks and their herds. Leviticus 23 verses 9 through 14 tells us how the Jews brought the first fruits of their fields of their grain, the first portion. By bringing God their first fruits, the Jews in the Old Testament acknowledge God's goodness and his sovereignty. Today, this concept can be applied to our income. When we give to God the first portion of our earnings, then we trust God. It's an act of gratitude. You say, well, what's the opposite of, of giving your first fruits? Well, that would be giving your leftovers. And that's what the world says. The world says give what's left over. Now, listen, the world isn't against giving. You'll see a lot of worldly pleas to, to give to some cause, to some charity, but the difference is worldly giving is never sacrificial. And it's never the first. This past week, I went through a drive through and my total was like, $7.67, and they said, would you like to round up to the dollar to give to such and such cause? In other words, they were saying, would you like to give your leftovers to this cause? The Bible says give the first and the best. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, what's it really matter if I give what's first or I give what's left over? As long as I'm giving, isn't that what's important? It all goes back to trust. If I give to God first, then I am trusting that he is going to provide. I am demonstrating that he is worthy. If I give to God what's left over, 
I'm demonstrating that I value a whole lot of other things more than I value God. I'm demonstrating that my trust is really in myself. It's in my work. It's in my hobbies. Here's the principle we're given. Verse 10. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. God is the master and the distributor of unlimited resources. He knows how to provide and take care of those who honor him with the resources that he has given to them. Now, here's the temptation. We read a verse like this, and we think, okay, I give to God in order to ensure that God makes me rich. That's what we think. And listen, God does provide for us. He does take care of us. David said in Psalms, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his people begging for bread. I do believe that when we trust God, he provides for us. But listen, the purpose is not so that we can pad our bank accounts. This isn't prosperity theology. We have to keep in mind the Bible was written in different genres. So you have narratives like the Gospels. You have history like the book of Acts and uh, like Kings and Chronicles. You have apocalyptic literature like Revelation and the second half of Daniel. You've got epistles and letters like Paul's writings. And then you have wisdom literature like Proverbs. And here's a key to interpreting Proverbs. Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are probable outcomes, not guaranteed outcomes. Proverbs describe the way that life generally goes. But I want you to really zero in on the words that are used in verse 10. Listen to this. Your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. The barns were used to store bread, and the vats were used to store wine. These were staple foods in that day that made life possible. Your basic food and drink, things that can be readily shared with others. He doesn't say that your purses or your bags will be filled to overflowing. He doesn't say that your closet will be filled to overflowing. The principle here is that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. We are blessed not so that we can hoard and stockpile for ourselves, but so that we can meet the needs of other people. And you have an opportunity to honor God with your wealth, with your first fruits, every week here at Bachelor Creek. We have multiple ways that you can give. We have giving boxes in the back. You can text to give. You can set up online giving. I believe one of the major blessings of technology is setting up online giving. My wife and I have online giving set up through our bank. It's automated. It's recurring. It is a a real, tangible way to ensure that God gets our first and our best. The first thing that happens when I get paid is the first portion comes to God's work through Bachelor Creek. And that means I don't have to worry about writing a check. I don't have to worry about forgetting. I don't even have to worry about the temptation that, man, I'm not sure if we're going to give this week. No, it's recurring and it's automatic. It's a tangible way to put our trust into practice. It is a pre-decision to honor God no matter what. Uh, Former Florida State University football coach Bobby Bowden, he used to inspire his players with personal stories that kind of functioned as modern-day parables. And one of his former players described a time that Bowden shared about when he was playing college baseball. And Bobby Bowden said he had never hit a home run. 
And finally, late in the season, he hit a shot down the right field line into the corner. He rounds first, and he's looking to the third base coach. And when he gets to second, and he's getting halfway to third, the third base coach is still waving him home. And so he runs home, he hits home plate, and he had just hit his first home run. And his his teammates are high-fiving and celebrating. And then the pitcher takes the ball and throws it to first base, and the umpire calls him out. Coach Bowden then said to his team, if you don't take care of first base, it doesn't matter what you do. If you don't honor the Lord first, it doesn't matter what else you do. So, word to the wise, trust God fully. Honor him with your wealth. Give God your first and your best. Why? Because your money flows to where your trust goes. And it's not just your money. Your love flows to where your trust goes. Your attention flows to where your trust goes. Your time flows to where your trust goes. So here's my question today. If you're here today and you have trusted in God with your life, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, will you honor him with your money? Will where you give your money show that he is the Lord of your life and the provider of everything that you have received? And if you're here today and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never trusted him with your life, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what you do with your money because your money cannot save you. You need a Savior. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, you're lost. Jesus is the first fruit. John 3.16 says that Jesus was God's one and only son, and he was the first and he was the best. Isaiah 53 says that in him was found no deceit. Jesus was perfect and he was sinless. And on the cross of Calvary, God gave his very best for you. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So this morning, let's receive God's generous gift in faith. And let us respond by giving him our very best and our first. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are worthy to be trusted. God, that you have a plan for our lives. And that when when we have trusted in you, and specifically when we have trusted in Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our life, it opens up a whole new life of freedom. Where then the natural response becomes, I want to honor you with everything. I want to honor you with my marriage. I want to honor you with my parenting. I want to honor you in my job. I want to invite you to be a part of everything that's going on in my life. And that includes our finances. God, I pray that our lives would be marked by radical generosity because we trust in you. We know who you are. We know that everything we have comes from you. And so God, forgive us for the times that that our trust is misplaced. When we face that temptation of of trusting in ourselves or trusting in our money or, or in something else other than you, remind us, God, that you are the originator 
You are the sustainer. You are the provider. And I pray that we would serve you with all that we are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.